Well, good morning. Uh, very thankful to be with you this morning. We have a number of visitors. We especially appreciate your presence, and we hope that our study of the morning will be something that will be an encouragement to you, and will edify you, uh, help you in your effort to live the Christian life. Uh, and I speak both to our visitors and our, our members on that account. Uh, but we are looking at a series of lessons that have really been contrasting the fruits of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh that we find in Galatians chapter 5. And uh, today we're looking at faithfulness. Uh, before we get into that, though, I want to talk about just my general take on when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and I don't know that this matters all that much, but the way that I look at the fruit of the Spirit, it, I look at it as a single fruit, that the Spirit will produce a fruit. And so then you get these descriptors of what that fruit is going to be like. And so, you know, if, if we're looking at oranges, I might describe that to someone that had never seen an orange or been around an orange. Orange, I would say, well, uh, you know, they have kind of a tough skin that you typically peel back and it has this really fresh smell and it's got this tangy but yet sweet, uh, juicy taste about it. So those would be some of the descriptors I might use to explain to someone an orange. And I think that's what, what uh, the Lord is doing with, uh, with uh, the fruit of the Spirit, is that it produces a set of traits. And that set of traits should be common in Christians because it's, it's a product of that Spirit and product of that fruit that's created. Um, so the idea of faithfulness is connected to the idea of fidelity. Now, uh, when I think of the word fidelity, I, I think of when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, I used to have these old junky radios that weren't very good, and you would try to listen to music, and when you turned up the volume, and you got it up to any kind of volume at all, it would begin to distort, and it just, you got the idea that music didn't sound good loud because of the distortion in it, but then you become to realize that you know more expensive systems that you could have you could have this fidelity this purity of sound that would exist regardless of the volume well maybe not completely but at, at, even at higher volumes you could get a really clean pure sound and so fidelity really the definition is a faithfulness to another person to a God or to a belief. That's fidelity. And so it's connected to this idea of faithfulness that we want to look at a little bit this morning. But there's another important part of, of faithfulness, and that is integrity. Now, the idea of integrity is that it's constant, it's consistent. And I think this is the hardest part of fidelity, is to be consistent. You know, human beings, our general nature is such that the hardest thing to be is consistent. If you, uh, if you look at organizations or you look at even in homes, you, you, know, you, you know, what would be the criticism that, uh, that uh, you might have of, of, of your spouse's parenting? Well, maybe they're not, well, that's, they're not consistent. Well, if they're not, because that's the hardest thing to be is consistent. Consistency is a very difficult thing. But integrity is about that. It's about doing the right thing, no matter who's around, in whatever circumstance it is. 
And so fidelity and, and faithfulness is this idea of whatever's going on in my life, I'm still going to be faithful to God. And that's hard. Because we know that the reality of life will put challenges in front of us that will cause us to be frustrated, cause us to, to, to put God to the back burner and think a different way. But so we want to we look at that this morning and perhaps improve our efforts to become more faithful. This passage is in found, in, found in Luke chapter 16. It says, he who, is faithful in, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you've not been faithful in, in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? You think about a, a, a child. And so, um, you know, as a, as a young person grows up, the way that you parent that person is that you would give them additional responsibilities as they became more, uh, as they became more responsible in the things they were taking care of. So you get privileges that are relative to responsibilities. And if you can take care of those responsibilities, then you're going to be granted additional privileges. And so um, that's kind of the message here is that, um, that it tells you something about your character. You know, there's a passage in uh, Colossians chapter 3 that said, so whatever you do, uh, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Well, why would that matter? If I'm doing something that's totally unrelated to Christianity, why does it really matter that I do a good job? The reality is, is that everything relates to Christianity. It's about your character. And so if, if you're out digging a ditch and you can be counted on to work hard and to do the very best job that you can do digging that ditch, it says something about your character. I believe it speaks to the brand of what a Christian is. And if you're not going to be faithful in doing that, when you begin to share the gospel with that same person that you're working with, how can they trust you? If you didn't work hard there, if you didn't, if you didn't show faithfulness to this simple menial task, how can they trust you to share with them accurate information on something that might save their soul? So fidelity is important, but 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 being, um, being faithful to the Lord is something that we've, got to, we've really got to work at to improve. Um, so in this passage, we see this. It says, for the fruit of the Spirit is all these characteristics. It produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you're looking at your Bible and you're looking at a King James Version, you will see the word faithfulness is translated as faith. And I think there's a, so there's a difference in our thinking, but it's the same Greek word. Um, so you think about what is faith? Well, faith is our belief in something, our confidence in something. You know, I have faith that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I have faith that the Father sent him that he came here, that he lived the perfect life, that he died for my sins. That's my 
faith. My faithfulness is my commitment to live out that in my life. So I'm committed to live out a, a trueness or a loyalty to that regardless of the circumstance I'm put in. So you can look at it this way. You have a faith. That faith creates an obedience to the gospel. So you believe what you're told, you obey the gospel, you're baptized, and you become a Christian. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will act upon your heart to produce the fruits, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and one of those characteristics becomes faithfulness, a commitment to a duty or responsibility that is unwavering. Faithfulness is about that idea. So um, I want to look at a parable that Jesus spoke, and this is in Luke chapter 18. And he spoke a parable unto them that men, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So a lot of times when Jesus would, would give you a parable, he wouldn't necessarily explain what he was teaching sometimes until far later. But on this one, he tells you what's coming. So you know that this is about praying and not giving up, not losing heart. And he says, there was a certain city, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. He didn't care what God thought, he didn't care what man thought. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God or regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So this man, he wasn't worried about justice. He wasn't worried about fairness to this widow, but from his own desires, he just decided, I'm going to take care of this matter just so that she leaves me alone. It's in my best interest to do that. So he's not really faithful to the law here, but he's, he's going to carry out justice for his own reason. Jesus continues and said, Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. You know what this contrast? I believe this is a contrast between God's faithfulness to man's unfaithfulness. And if you really think about it, it's really the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament of the old law of Moses and the new law of Christ. See, the, the law of Moses was written in such a way that set up a standard that man could have a relationship with God through man's obedience or man's faithfulness. And what happened? It didn't work. Man could not keep that covenant. And so because of that, that, that covenant didn't work and he had to replace it with a second covenant. Now the reality is he knew that was going to be the case all along. But the second covenant is not about man's faithfulness to God, but rather it's about God's faithfulness to man. And so you see that in this parable. 
that though the, the judge was unjust, God was just, and that he will avenge his, uh, his uh, followers quickly. And then he goes on to say this, and it almost is like it doesn't even belong, but it does. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Now, at first, that's a bit of a head-scratcher. What's the connection there? Well, so if you look at the start, he, the, the moral of the story is going to be not to lose heart. But, the, but then he says, that's going to be a challenge. So when Jesus comes back, will people still be faithful? Because he knows that that, that is a tremendous challenge, is not, not to lose heart, but to remain faithful a person's entire life. To no matter what the challenges you face, you're going to face the loss of loved ones. You're going to face health difficulties. You're going to face financial loss. You're going to face frustration with, with family, frustration with coworkers, frustration with just people. And you're, all these things are going to happen, and yet God calls us to be faithful in spite of that. And, but yet he acknowledges that this is a huge challenge for us. So let's look at another example of that. Are you familiar with the story of Hosea? The story of Hosea is, is, is an interesting one uh, because he does something here with Hosea that a father, an earthly father, would never do with his son. But yet God, God understood that man did not inherently understand abstract concepts. And so he, he tries to make these things concrete in a way that we can understand them. And so he does this with Hosea. But what he tells him is very difficult. He says, go and take yourself a wife, a wife of harlotry. So not, not the advice that any, any father is going to give their, their son or daughter. But, but he says, go and take this wife of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry died by departing from the Lord. So he, he being Hosea, he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, actually, they had three children. Uh, this son, this first one was born, his name was Jezreel. And Jezreel was uh, later became, it was the, actually the place that Israel, and by the way, so let me give you some context here. Um, Hosea is, is prophesying to the, to the ten tribes that, were, that went to the north, not to Judah and Benjamin that stayed there in the area of Jerusalem and Judea, but these, these are the peoples, that, the ten tribes that went to the north. And so Hosea, in, in preaching to them, is, is told to take this woman, as, this woman that's a harlot as his wife because these people were not, not obedient to the Lord. And he wanted to show that. What he's really doing is he's setting up the same thing that Jesus set up in that parable. He's showing God's faithfulness to man, but man's unfaithfulness to God. So that when people would look at Hosea, I'm sure that they would look at him and his love for his wife 
and they would see that and they would see what she was doing they would think <laughs> I don't know how he stays with her well that's what he's trying to get them to see that why would God stay with them so he gives them he gives these this couple three children one of them is Jezreel which ended up being the place where God actually over uh, destroyed them and, and they ceased to be a people after, after that the second one was the, the name was uh, like Lo, Lo Rohama, which means unloved. And can you imagine having a daughter and calling your daughter unloved? And then the third one was Lo Amemi, which means not my people. So he, he very clearly is setting up communication with Israel to say here's how I see you and now repent and change and yet they didn't change and God overthrew them as he promised that he would so he did this and he went on and he said and, he, and this is in chapter 3 he said then the Lord said to me Hosea he said go again love a woman and the woman that he was referring to again was his wife who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. So even after he married her out of harlotry, she still continued to be unfaithful. But he says, go back to her and love her again. And she had she'd been sold into slavery. And so what did he do? He, in verse 2, So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. This again it was God's effort to show his great love for his people though his people had completely turned their back on him. And so we should look at this and see what a shame that is and be called not to live that way. And we know that there are people that both in the Old Testament and in the New were successful in not living that way. There's, this is a Job uh, who... You remember the story of Job that, uh, that he had all these, this great wealth and he had this great family and in one day he had all these messengers come to him, like four or five messengers come to him, one after another, giving him bad news about the loss of possession and the death of family. And he continued to worship God. And then Satan came back to God and said, well, yeah, but you, you haven't let me touch him. If you let me touch him, he will curse you. So God allowed Satan to go in and, and touch him. He said, but don't kill him. And he didn't, but he created boils all over his body. And so after that, we have this long story of, of, uh, of Job that was um, in conversation with his friends and trying to figure out why God was doing what he was doing. But in this, he says this in chapter 27 and verse number 3, as long as my breath is in me and my breath and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Integrity, to be consistent in the face of all that's coming at you. You know, when, uh, when two people are married, uh, they typically exchange rings. And the rings are kind of a symbol of that never-ending love. 
because, because that's, in, that's the idea built in that is integrity. And so Job, though he faced a lot of troubles, he held his integrity. And he had some questions, but in the end he held his integrity. And then we remember the story of Abraham that was promised his son, very old in life. And he, he was promised this son, and this son was going to lead to a great nation of people, and he was promised a land, and that, that son would inherit that land, and, and it was going to be, a, a, they were going to be God's people. But one day God comes to Abraham, and he says, now, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Ten, he said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So look in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Now think about you. When you've got something facing you that's unpleasant, isn't it easier to, wouldn't you have laid in bed a little later that day? Maybe you had something to do, uh, some, some chores to take care of around the house, but they got up. So my thought would have been, maybe if I stall long enough, God will change his mind and come to me and say, Never mind, I've changed my mind. That would, have been, that would have been my idea, but not Abraham. He gets up early, and he goes about the business of preparing to make this trip to this mountain. And so, and it says, and God said to him, Do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him, for now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son. He didn't withhold him. He get in the face of adversity, in the face of great trial, he was faithful. Uh, and if you think, well, this was a long time ago, that's different standards of living and all that. Surely it was. But brethren, there are people that are faithful today like that, that in the face of horrible situations, they remain faithful to their God. It's possible. And we need, to try to, we need to try to remember that and to, to be like that the best we can. I've got, uh, I've got a, a friend at work, a uh, lady that works at a campus that I used to work at years ago, um, and she, had, she got cancer. And a uh, couple of years of treatment and that cancer went away, but then it came back. And now it's metastasized, and the concern is that she could she very likely will lose her life because it's all over her body. And yet, the word that she uses and the thing that you can see when you're around her every day, her word is rejoice. She still rejoices in Jesus. She still rejoices and praises God and doesn't blame, her, blame him for the adversity that, that she faces. And it's not, just, it's not just lip service. It is something that she lives out. Anytime you go through there and you see her, she's excited, she's happy, she, all those things in the face of great pain and great adversity. 
that's just the way she is. And so to me, those things are a testimony that we need to, to try to, to put in our lives whether things are good or bad. James says it this way, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' trials. That's another one that's hard for me. Count it all joy. Be happy about this that I'm going through this situation. How can I be happy about this? You feel like in the moment the best you can do is hang on. But James says that you ought to, to be happy about that, knowing that the testing of your face will produce patience, and that patience will have its perfect work that you can be mature, that's what that word perfect means, and complete, lacking nothing. It's, it's just, it's so difficult to do. And you think about um, someone, who, someone who trains. If, if, you, if you do any kind of training, then there is there's always some unpleasant stuff. It, so anything you want to learn, any skill you want to improve on, if you want to, uh, somebody wakes up one day and they decide, I'd like to run a 5K, then uh, it's going to take some training. You think there's going to be some pain involved with that? There's going to be some, in, some pain involved with that. But yet, do that because they understand that it gives them something that they want. A level of conditioning where they'll be able to enjoy their life more and they'll feel better. So that's just for a temporal benefit. So we need to be able to do this for the, for the Lord as well. Uh, God uses common situations in life to create an uncommon result. And that is an obedience to Jesus. And in uh, Romans chapter 8, he talks about us being conformed to the image of Christ, that all these things that, that befall you, that happen to people, they do so to train us, to bring us into that image of Jesus Christ, that we can be just like this, that we can be complete, that we can be mature, that we can be lacking nothing. And we have the promise of God in 1 Corinthians 10 that no temptation is overtaking you except is common to man. So when something happens to us, we shouldn't think, oh, we're the only person that's ever dealt with this in the entire history of the world. That's just not true. That, that these conditions happen to people all the time. And so we shouldn't think we're being singled out or we shouldn't think we're being picked on. But that, that we need to pray that God will give us the strength to bear it and understand that he hasn't thrown anything in our path that we can't bear. The other thing I would say about faithfulness is it's more than a thou shall not. You know, the idea of fidelity, sometimes you think about a man and a woman and they're married and, and, the, and they promise to be faithful to one another. And the implication in that is that, well, I'm not going to go find someone else to go be with. Now, that's certainly part of it, and that's a big part of it, and that's important. <laughs> But being faithful really extends beyond that, doesn't it? You think about a, a and I'm just using this made-up person, but a, a, a man, he's, he's faithful to his wife in the sense that he never does cheat on her. But yet, he doesn't, when, he, when he comes home, he doesn't attend to her needs. He doesn't pay any attention to her. He doesn't... Uh, 
he doesn't, he doesn't seek to please her in any way. He just merely lives there, and he allows her to take care of, of him, but is he really being faithful? I think faithfulness is beyond thou shall not. Faithfulness is actively doing things that will be pleasing. And God expects that. You know, you think about Israel. Would, they, would God have been happy with Israel if they just would have stopped chasing other gods? I mean, it would have been an upgrade. That would have been huge. That would have been a start. But he wanted their heart. He, wanted, he, he didn't want them to just divorce themselves from those gods. He wanted them to rely on him as their God. So faithfulness is more than thou shall not. It's also thou shall. You think about what Jesus did on the cross. This wasn't just lip service, was it? He went to the cross. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for her. He died for the church. He went to the cross and suffered for that. Passive love? Hardly. So again, going back to that question we started with, Will, will the Son of Man, when He comes, really, really find faith? You know, we started out and we talked about um, that it's not enough. Or we started out and we talked about God's faithfulness to man, but man's unfaithfulness to God. And so if we're not careful, we might get the idea that, well... That's just the way it is. I can't really, I'm, it's not expected that I'll do any better. That's not going to be adequate. God's going to expect more from us than that. He's, um, you, you look at the, the fruit of the Spirit, and it's all those things. And so you might, you might look at it and think, well, why, uh, it, the, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't seem to be producing this in me. Why is it not producing this in me? And I would challenge you and say that it, it, you're not feeding it. If you think about if you were, uh, were going to go to work for somebody and you were going uh, to be working with them in the afternoon and you were going to move some furniture or move some, you were going to be work, doing physical labor, and you come to them, and it's 3 o'clock, and you've been working about two hours with them, and you say, oh, I'm just exhausted. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. And you go a little bit longer, and you make the comment again. You're just, you just can't believe how tired you are. And he, then the other person asks you, what's going on? And you say, well, I, you know, I didn't eat anything today. Well, that kind of explains why you're tired is you haven't fed your body so that you'll have the energy to take on the task that you've been asked to take on. And so the same is true here, that if we don't feed the spirit with the nutrients that it needs, it can't produce the fruit that it's designed to, pr to, to produce. You look at this, this, and I can't tell whether those are apples or exactly what it is, but you can see clearly there's been a lot of work involved in that. They had, to, they had to till that soil. They had to clean out all the weeds and grass from that area that they planted those trees. Then they're going to they're gonna have to pull that fruit off the vine when it's ripe 
and not let it get, sit there too long. It's going to require some tending. And so if the fruit of the Spirit is going to produce in us the kind of fruit that it promises, then we're going to have to feed it with the Word. Because, see, the Spirit uses the Word to change your life. You don't feed it the Word, you're not given anything to work with. It's just out there hanging. So we've got to, we've got to, we've got to tend to the garden. We've got to give the, the Spirit the tools that it needs to be successful in producing the fruit. And if, if we do, it'll produce those characteristics. And if we don't, our fruit's going to be spoiled and rotten and worthless. And God will look at it that way. So the lesson this morning is yours. I hope that uh, we've said something that's been an encouragement to us. Let's be a faithful people. Let's dedicate ourselves to serve God in good and bad. When times are good, praise him for that. When times are bad, still praise him and understand that his will has to be done and that you and I are merely servants in his kingdom. And if we'll do that, we'll be pleasing people to the Lord and we'll receive a home with him one day. Uh, if we can help you in any way, we are going to offer a song of invitation. If you need assistance with either baptism or you need prayers of the church, then we would ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song together.